Hi, I'm Gary, and this is episode 157 of EV Musings, a podcast about renewables, electric vehicles, and things that are interesting to electric vehicle owners. On the show today, we'll be looking at broken chargers. This season of the podcast is sponsored by Zatma the free-to-download app that helps EV drivers search, plan, and pay for their charging. Before we start, I wanted to thank everyone for the feedback on the new EV episode, episode 153. Uh, Lots of good discussion and engagement there, so thank you very much for that. Our main topic of discussion today is broken chargers a topic that is no doubt very close to many listeners' hearts, especially if they've tried public charging recently and had issues. Reading my social media timeline would seem to indicate that this is a major problem happening to everybody all over the place all the time, although I'm sure the charge point operators would look at it differently. Well, today I'm going to chat about the issues that chargers have, why they break, and what could be done about them. But first, a story. Back in the midst of time, Ecotricity were the saviors of public charging. They installed free public chargers at all the motorway service areas, as well as a number of other locations, such as IKEA stores across the country. All was well and good for a couple of years. They added charging tariffs a little later on. After all, you can't expect a commercial organization to subsidize an expensive proposition like uh, public charging, can you? And things were, as I say, all well and good. The number of EVs on the road was still relatively small and EVs were still quote-unquote new. A couple of other companies came onto the marketplace. Uh, One of these was Charger Car, another was Chargemaster. These companies merged and were bought out by BP later on to form the BP Pulse Network. And they started with a lowish charging tariff and a subscription model. And then a couple of cracks started to appear in the facade. Ecotricity chargers had trouble charging some of the newer EVs at the time, such as the Jaguar I-Pace with the CCS connector. There were handshake issues and people had trouble getting charges pretty much anywhere on the Ecotricity network. And then a number of the charger car units started to break. They lost power or the payment terminals didn't work. And they stayed that way. Social media became rife with tales of broken charges, especially on the Ecotricity network. A charge your car became a shorthand for a broken network. A BP Pulse itself then started a, a push on new units. They rolled out high-powered chargers alongside a review of their tariffs, but they still didn't fix the charge your car units. Over time, the charging network just started to fail. Pretty much the whole of the Ecotricity network was on people's to-be-avoided list alongside charge your car and BP Pulse. Then GD Point started to get the same sort of problem. Lots of charges breaking down with either no response or very slow response from the charge point operator to fix them. Sub-CPOs came out with reasons why their charges were breaking. With Charge Your Car, it was usually due to contractual agreements with the landlords who were supposed to pay for the maintenance, but just didn't. With GD Point, it was a lack of parts due to the pandemic and supply chain issues. Dee Humphries herself said so uh, on this very podcast. We've had significant delays sourcing both new charger hardware. So we're trying to move away from our legacy kit because it isn't performing as we want it to. 
And alongside that, we've had issues trying to get replacement parts for the legacy kit. So with most of our manufacturers based in Europe and the parts that we need only being manufactured by the manufacturers themselves, we've been really struggling. Um, And it's fair to say that I think if you spoke to me or any of my team, it's our biggest concern. With BP Pulse, it was, well, we don't really know what the issue was with BP Pulse because nobody was willing to come and talk to anyone about the issues they were having. But Ecotricity was the big issue because their unit stopped working and their owner, Dale Vince, refused to engage with either fixing them or with explaining why he wouldn't fix them. Until the middle of last year, when GridServe bought Ecotricity's electric highway network and replaced the whole kit and caboodle pretty much with more, faster, newer units. And they did all this within 12 months, as well as opening a number of new multi-unit hubs at places like Exeter Services and rugby services. But recently, however, things have started to slip. And I'll come back to that in a minute. But first, let's talk about a relatively small charge point operator. This operator only has 100 locations across the UK, way fewer than Instavolt, BP Pulse, maybe even Osprey Charging, many, many fewer than Genie Point, Podpoint, and even Source London. But this network is beloved by those who use it. They praise the ease of use, the availability of charges, the speed of the units. In fact, pretty much every one of their locations I pass always seems to be in use, sometimes with queues for the next free unit. But there's rarely any complaints about it. There's also rarely any complaints about how few locations there are across the UK. I mean, a hundred sites across England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland? That's pretty small, if you ask me. But I never hear anyone saying, we need more locations from this operator. Sure, everyone would like more locations, but it's not a constant moan in the same way as it is for other CPOs. So who am I talking about? Well, it is, of course, Tesla's supercharger network. And I always find the paradox of Tesla fascinating. They're the best-selling EV mark in the land. So there are many more of them on the road than any other type of EV. But they only have 100 public supercharger locations. However, these 100 locations allow up to 1,000 cars to charge at once across the nation. Other networks with many, many more locations than Tesla always seem to get criticism for not having enough locations. But Tesla with a meager 100 doesn't. Why? Well, it must be the speed, right? A lot of other charge point operators put units in at more locations, but they put 50 kilowatt charges in or similar. What people want is, well, 150 kilowatts and higher, isn't it? But Instavolt have more than 100 locations that have charges with a charge speed of 100 kilowatts or higher, or figures courtesy of Zappap. So why do we not think that Instavolt have enough locations with ultra-rapid charging? Well, maybe it's the number of charges in a location. Tesla tend to be high capacity and low volume i.e. they don't have many locations, but they've got lots of units at each location. So in that case, GridServe and MFG should both be loaded because their new locations are all multi-unit sites. In fact, if you go to the GridServe electric forecourts, you're going to see more charges there than at any Tesla location in the UK. The new sites in places like Exeter, Rugby and Reading have many, many units on a par with a typical supercharger site. The supercharger locations are also pretty bland for the most part, uninspiring sites, often without facilities, 
and certainly rarely close to places like McDonald's or a Costa Coffee. But nobody seems to let that concern them, so it's not that. It must be the plug and charge, right? Get there, stick the connector in, the socket, and you're good to go. No messing around with cards or apps or IDs, etc. It's all handled by the car. But Fastnet do that, or a version of it, as do Ionity. And Ionity are really fast chargers. So it's not plug and charge. Is it price? Tesla charge variously around 67 pence a kilowatt hour if you don't have free charging bundled with your car. That's a comparable price point with a lot of other good CPOs in the UK. I mean, Tesla have also recently dropped their pricing a little and added time of day tariffs, which encourage charging earlier or later in the day. But Tesla also have some pretty steep overstay fees and they limit users to 80% charge at certain times, something that no other network currently does in the UK and something which will, when implemented, raise a howl of derision from many newer EV drivers, I reckon. So why is the supercharging network lauded so much? It's not the number of locations. It's not the number of units at each location. It's not the speed of the charging. It's not the plug and charge aspect. It's not the price. It's all of these together. While individual networks beat Tesla on certain aspects, there's no single network that provides the ease of charging with multi-unit locations at a price people will recognize as appropriate for the level of investment. The level of investment is all aimed and focused towards one aspect of the charging experience that many other CPOs have struggled to figure out. It just works. I was at a brand new non-Tesla charger recently from a well-known charge point operator. A high power charger, modern design, fabulous interface, eight units available. I was the only one there. I was accessing it via an app. It didn't connect first time after chuntering around for about a minute. So I waited a couple of minutes for it to reset and reconnect and it worked a second time, but it took a further minute to perform the handshake and the validation and authorization. So that's four minutes from stopping the car to electrons entering my battery. The first time Gary Wales and I used his loaner Model X at the Heathrow supercharger, we stopped, plugged in, sat back in the front seat, and the charge was already going. Less than 20 seconds overall. It just worked. Many CPOs are spending a huge amount of money installing state-of-the-art hardware and software, but still haven't managed to solve the issue of getting everything to work together. There are issues with the handshake between the charger and the car. There are issues with the payment authorization. There are issues with putting enough units at a location to give redundancy. There's no plug and charge functionality. Although I've spoken to several CPOs who've told me it's coming. All of this comes down to one key underlying design aspect that Tesla focus on in depth. The Tesla walled garden. For Tesla superchargers, everything is contained inside this technological walled garden. The hardware, the software, payment, system management. It's all controlled by a single entity, Tesla. They determine the standards for connectors, handshaking, payment authorization, hardware design, vehicle specification. If Tesla make a car, there's a 100% chance it will be compatible with a Tesla supercharger. They manage and control that. The end result is a seamless experience which always works and provides the benchmark for all other charge point operators at which to aim. With other CPOs, 
These walled gardens don't exist. Every hardware manufacturer designs his or her own standard for interconnection. It's all based on a common standard, but as battery electrochemist Dr. Ewan McTurk always likes to remind people, CHAdeMO is a tightly defined standard which always works. CCS, on the other hand, is more like a list of ingredients you can put together in any number of different ways. This ability to be flexible causes untold issues when trying to get cars and chargers to talk to each other. Then you've got payment authorization. Now that the government mandates the ability to pay ad hoc for charging without needing an account, the ubiquitous contactless card reader has appeared. But in some locations, the connection to the network isn't great. Authorizations take a while to be improved. Some charge point operators charge extortionate pre-authorization fees, which are not always cancelled if the charge is unsuccessful. Some charge much lower pre-authorization fees. Then there's the fact that pretty much all the card scanning devices are aftermarket add-ons. They're not part of the initial design of the unit itself. This means you get issues of weather ingress, where the unit has been tacked onto the side of the charger and the connection isn't sealed correctly. In our podcast discussion with Edmund King of the AA, he told me that their data indicate that the vast majority of calls about charger problems relate to not being able to make a payment to start the charge. The AA provide customer helpline services for a number of UK-based charge point operators. See episode 143, the AA episode. Link in the show notes. There seems to be an attitude that if we can put card readers on vending machines, we should be able to put card readers on chargers. I subscribe to that, to a point. The difference is that the majority of vending machines are not exposed to the elements and are inside buildings with either Wi-Fi or a good mobile phone signal they can use to communicate with banks. Plus, a vending machine is generally not going to sell anything much more expensive than, say, a sandwich or a can of fizzy drink. These issues of payment authorization and connection to the car are not an issue with Tesla vehicles. The car talks to the charger. They both know who's paying for the charge. This is all dealt with automatically behind the scenes using the driver's Tesla profile. So what can other CPOs do to get them towards a charging nirvana that is the Tesla supercharging network? Well, the answer isn't obvious. And when they try, there are issues. But enough about Tesla. Let's look at some of the other charge point operators. As I record this in uh, the late December of 2022, there is anecdotal data that indicates a raft of errors occurring on grid serve units. Uh, Leicester Forest East was totally broken recently, as were half of the units at Donington Park. I personally was at both the grid serve hub at Rugby and the Oxford motorway service area on the M40 within a couple of days of each other, and there were issues there. Rugby had four units out of 12 out of order, and one of them had actually been knocked completely off its foundation and was laying on its side on the ground. A little later, I heard on Twitter, so take it with a pinch of salt, that all the grid serve units had stopped working at Rugby, although the adjacent Tesla units were still working, so it wasn't a power issue. Oxford had one of the two units out of order, and inquiries indicated that it had been an issue for almost a week. I went back a month later, and the situation was still the same. The nearby Tesla supercharger there was working perfectly. Toddington Harper, CEO of Gridsurf, posted a tweet saying that effectively, it was a spare parts issue, very similar to what Dee Humphrey said about Genie Point. 
Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sensing some sort of a pattern here. The whole situation raises a couple of major questions for me. The data seem to indicate that many charges are breaking, and nobody's able to give me an indication of what exactly is breaking. But is anybody doing any sort of review of what the errors are and why they're happening? It's one thing when you choose a charger that's unreliable and breaks down frequently, which is the issue that GeniePoint had. They've since changed their hardware supply for new units. But it's another when the units are industry standards, such as the ABB and Tritium units that GridServe are using. So why are they breaking down so frequently? Well, we know that breakdowns generally fall into a number of categories. Firstly, there's power supply issues. If there's a problem with electricity getting to the site, the chargers won't work. But if that happens, all the units tend to be offline rather than just one or two. As I already mentioned, in the case of the GridServe units at Rugby, all the adjacent Tesla superchargers were working fine. So I suspect that power wasn't the issue. It might be a hardware issue within the specific unit. There's quite a lot of electric gubbins inside an EV charger. Surprise. And from time to time, these have issues. A petrol pump, in contrast, is a fairly tried and tested piece of simple technology. Start the pump, run the pump, stop the pump. They tend to wear out rather than break down as a general rule. Now, there could be an issue with communications at the chargers. The units on a network are all linked together so that they can be remotely rebooted, etc. If there's an issue with a remote connection, the units can act in one of two ways. They can default to free vend, which means anyone can use them without having to pay, or they can stop working, which means nobody can use them. For all their faults, the old Ecotricity took the free vend model for their chargers. Nobody nowadays tends to do that. Finally, there could be a problem with the payment process. Due to the myriad ways a charger can be initiated, there are a lot of ways in which it can break down. If we look at a petrol pump, there's only really two ways to make it work. You lift the pump and press the button, or you feed a card into the reader, enter the pin, and off you go. But with EV chargers, you can use an app or an RFID card, or plug and charge, auto charge, or a QR code leading to a payment page, or a contactless payment card. And each of these methods is a different way that the system will need to check and validate your payment method. Each of these will need some sort of connection to the network. And if this network is down, the payment can't be approved and the charge won't start. Of course, there's always the issue that several charges have had where they've physically been knocked over or destroyed. So obviously, you're not going to get a charge on that. Uh, that's what happened at GridServe, or one of the units at GridServe Rugby. And there was also the horrific accident where a Range Rover launched off the curb on the A40 at Park Royal recently at high speed, smashed through several of the Tesla superchargers there, and continued onwards coming to rest on the nearby railway lines. And as we've said before on this show, if it's one charger out of 12, it's an inconvenience rather than a problem. But if it's one charger out of two, or four charges out of 12, it starts to become an issue, especially if this is happening in several locations at once. Remember also that the supercharger network has exactly the same steps in the process, but because they've designed everything to work together, the chances of an issue occurring are remote. Can other networks do this then? Well, in theory, they can. I mean, I can't recall the last time I heard about anyone going to a petrol pump trying to pay 
with their card and not been able to get a payment authorised. Sure, there's been authorizations where the card has been declined due to lack of funds, but that's not a failed authorization. That's a successful authorization with a declined result. So it must be possible to do that on a widespread basis. The issue comes when you've chosen hardware that's a little less than reliable. With petrol pumps, we've had literally 100 years to sort out the different types of pump, the different issues they have, and determine which ones are reliable and which ones aren't. With chargers, we're nowhere near that. But once again, the infrastructure and the way it's been rolled out here in the UK is playing into the issues we're having at the moment. As we get more and more people wanting to charge, the overall utilisation of the network is increasing. So at an extreme, you'll have a single charger, let's say a BP Pulse unit, in a hotel car park somewhere near Castle Bromwich, just off the M6. There are local taxis there using it, as well as hotel guests and folks making the north-south trip on the nearby M6. Let's assume it gets used 15 times a day. The actual figure's irrelevant. Now let's imagine we have a shiny hub at, say, the Paisley Pear pub in Brackley. That's got eight units. It's not quite as close to the motorway as our BP Pulse hub. So let's assume each unit there gets used 10 times per day, although there are, in fact, more units, so higher general utilisation. Now, all things being equal, which charger will break down first? The one that gets used 15 times a day or the one that gets used 10 times per day? Now, I don't have any actual statistics on this, but if you were to tell me it was the one that was used 15 times per day, I wouldn't be surprised. More users, more throughput, more wear and tear. And that's the root cause, I believe, of a lot of our current issues. Single or double unit chargers that have been in the ground for several years and now been overwhelmed with people trying to charge. They're being used so much, they're wearing out. The connectors are getting broken. The screens are getting scratched or smashed. The cables are getting worn. The card readers are stopped working. What do you think? And I don't care that as a rule, BP Pulse single units are located reasonably close to each other. So there's usually a second one to go to if the first one doesn't work. As per a discussion we had with Tom Callow in episode 69, the CPOs on the podcast, if both of those units are being thrashed heavily on a day-to-day basis, it's the same issue. Now, in theory, we can look at places such as Norway that have had a, a long history of public charging to see which units they're using. Watching videos for Norwegian uh, blogger Bjorn Nyland indicates that they're using pretty much the same sort of units we're using here in the UK. The difference is that Norway doesn't have a mandated standard for contactless payment. They have a networked series of RFID cards and FOBs that work on multiple different charge point operators. They seem to prove more reliable than using bank card payment authorization for some reason. But there are still issues. When doing this thousand kilometer challenge in various different cars, you can always encounter a charger that either wouldn't start or which was running so slowly, he ended up terminating the charge and moving to another unit. And that's almost a constant. The difference between there and here Well, whereas we have a one or two units in a lot of locations, Norway tends to have four or more and even has co-located charge point operators if needed. The motorway service area at Nebenes has the largest Tesla supercharger installed in Europe, which is open to all drivers. 
plus six shell units, plus four units run by Austria, all in the same place. Espar has four Fortum units, and across the way there are six load balancing Kempower series units run by another CPO. The Circle K Inlandsporten has two lots of Circle K chargers, totaling four units, plus five MER units, and a separate set of AC posts. At junction 71 of the E6, there are three separate charge point operators co-located in one place, offering 13 charge point stations between them. We rarely have this here in the UK. The closest is at Markham Vale in Derbyshire, where two Osprey 50 kilowatt units are located in a Marston's pub next to a McDonald's with two Instavolts. And a GridServe Electric forecourt recently granted plan permission but hasn't broken ground yet. And at Banbury, where the 16 Instavolts are a short drive from the six Osprey Kempower units located next to a Tesla supercharger site open to the public. But that's about it, really. I suppose the big question is whether the UK's charging network will ever turn out to be reliable. Well, I don't know. There has been talk about installing a charging SAR with responsibility for charging infrastructure. I think that's probably a good idea, especially if that person has legislative power. The SAR could mandate specific uptime on charge units. But we need to ensure that we're measuring the right thing when it comes to uptime. Remember, what gets measured gets improved. If we mandate an average of 99% uptime for all chargers, then some of the larger networks who have lots of AC units and far fewer DC units can keep their more reliable AC units at 100% and allow their less numerous DC units to fall into disrepair for a while, but still maintain an overall average of 99% availability across a year. Which is absolutely fine unless you rely on public DC fast charging using that network, hello subscription car services, and the site closest to you is out of order for two months. Plus, what does 99% uptime mean? If a unit's available to use, but only pushes out 25 kilowatts on a 75 kilowatt unit, is that available? Or payment can be initiated 100% of the time as long as you're using the RFID card or an app, but if you're using contact as payment, there might be issues. Does that count? Or the unit has CCS and CHAdeMO charging and the CCS connector is broken and won't perform a handshake but the CHAdeMO works perfectly, does that count? What about the issue we've had with certain units whereby the problem has been identified, but the charge point operator is awaiting parts from a foreign country and there are delays with, with the supplier? Does it count that they've identified the problem and resolved it, i.e. ordered a new part, but they're at the mercy of a third party? Does that count? You can guarantee that if charge point operators are being penalised based on these criteria, they will be super precise about where the boundaries are and what constitutes a breach and what doesn't. And they'll play those definitions as closely as they can. An interesting topic and one we'll need to keep an eye on. It's time for a cool EV or renewable thing to share with listeners. This year, 5.3 billion mobile phones will be thrown away the International Waste, Electrical and Electronic Equipment Forum says. And this highlights the growing environmental problem of e-waste. Many people keep old phones rather than recycling them, research suggests. 
Uh, precious minerals not extracted from waste electronics, such as the copper in the wire or the cobalt in rechargeable batteries, have to be mined. There are an estimated 16 billion mobile phones worldwide, and in Europe, almost a third are no longer in use. Just over 17% of the world's e-waste is properly recycled. But the United Nations International Telecommunication Union has set a target to raise that to 30% by next year. In the UK, more than 20 million unused but working electrical items worth as much as possibly £5.6 billion pounds are currently hoarded in UK homes, surveys by the organisation Material Focus suggest. And I know I've got probably three old mobile phones in a box next to me here. Now, it's also calculated the average UK household could sell unwanted tech and raise about £200. So the WEEE website has links and tips for how and where you can recycle your old phones and other electrical equipment to help reduce the need to mine more precious materials for things like EV batteries. See the link in the show notes for more. The EV Musings podcast is sponsored by ZapMap. ZapMap is the go-to app for EV drivers in the UK. Use it to search for available chargers, plan electric journeys, pay for charging on participating networks, and share updates with other EV drivers. ZapMap is free to download and use, with subscription plans for enhanced features, such as using ZapMap in-car, on CarPlay, or Android Auto. And that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed listening to it. If you want to contact me, I can be emailed at evmusing at gmail.com. I'm also on Twitter at MusingTV. If you want to support the podcast and newsletter, please consider contributing to becoming an EV Musings patron. The link's in the show notes. Don't want to sign up for something on a monthly basis? If you enjoyed this episode, why not buy me a coffee? Go to coffee.com slash evmusings. That's ko-fi.com slash evmusings. And you can do just that. Takes Apple Pay too. I have a couple of ebooks out there if you want to read something on your Kindle. So, you've got Electric. is available on Amazon Worldwide for the measly sum of 99p or equivalent. And it's a great little introduction to living with an electric car. So... You've gone renewable. It's also available on Amazon for the same 99 pence and it covers installing solar panels, a storage battery and a heat pump. Why not check them both out? Links for everything we've talked about in the podcast today are in the description. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe. It's available on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave a review, preferably five stars, as it helps raise visibility and extend our reach in search engine. If you've reached this part of the podcast and are still listening, Thank you. Why not let me know you've got to this point by tweeting me at MusingCV with the words broken or just tired? Hashtag if you know you know. Nothing else. Thanks as always to my co-founder Simon. You know he's looking to open up a chain of electric unicycle trail riding clubs. He'll start small and build up, putting them in the best places across the country. He told me he wants 100 locations as a start. I thought you were starting small, I told him. I mean, a hundred sites across England, Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland? That's pretty small, if you ask me. Thanks for listening.